to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hello, this is Adrienne Garland, and welcome back to Sugar Coated. I'm so excited today because I have a very interesting guest. Her name is Vera Jimenez, and she is a weather person. She is an entrepreneur, and she's a philanthropist. She has worked in the media field, which I think anybody that listens to Sugar Coated knows that I'm a huge enthusiast uh, for the media, the power that it has and using the media to help women to get their voices, thoughts, and opinions out into this world. So uh, she's also a real estate investor, which I don't think that I mentioned. So I think that we could probably have a conversation that lasts for days, Uh, but let's just get right into it. So Vera, welcome to Sugar Coated. I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, I just, when I saw the title of your podcast, like, okay, we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're actually going to talk about the truth. Yeah. And we are really going to like work as a community to empower each other. And I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. So, you know, the people that listen into this show are, uh, they're women entrepreneurs, they're women that are leading in, in one area or another in their lives, and they're really looking for inspiration. I love to showcase all different types of people because we all have very different stories, different journeys. And if we can see a little bit of ourselves and you know, or hear a little bit of ourselves in any of the guests and, and, you know, really understand that it's not all rainbows and unicorns and, and you know, sugar-coated yumminess, then hopefully we can put that that aside and, and move on and do really great things in the world. So you were just telling me before we kind of, you know, got into it that you, that, that your, your mom was an amazing woman, right? But that what you came to do is more than what she even could conceptualize. And I love this idea, right? Like this idea of our limits in our thinking. And you you broke through that. So tell us a little bit about you, Vera, where you came from, everything that you're doing. And uh, I'll let you just talk. <laughs> oh, thank you. So thank you for having me. Um, I was born in Mexico and I was telling you, Adrian, earlier in a really small town. My entire family is from there. I'm the last of six. So my mom came from a generation of women. She's 80. She just turned 84 in May. So she comes from a generation of women where they were pulled out of elementary school at sixth grade. So basically you learned how to read and write and how to do basic math. And that was it. And as a woman in those days, you had no options. Like you were married off 
or you got married, you, you weren't married off, you got to choose your partner, but you got married and you started a family relatively young. My mom did actually not. She didn't get married until she was in her early 20s. And then she started having kids, but she had six of us. Wow. And my father died when I was three years old and I was the last of six. Gosh. And wow. she never remarried. She never <laughs> yeah. remarried. Yeah. And so, you know, her American dream was to come to the U.S. to buy a house and to pay that house off by the time she retired and to live in it until she died. And so to this day, she still lives in that house. She worked until she was 73 in a oh factory oh with steel toed shoes that weighed three and a half pounds each. She worked in the shipping department. So she spent all eight hours, even at 73, on her feet. Oh my God. Like moving around jack pallets in a warehouse. And she was really strong, still is. And mm. so for her, her dream for me was to not have to work in a factory pushing pallets around. She wanted me to get an office job that had a steady income with two weeks two weeks vacation, health benefits, and a 401k. Yeah. That's it. I can understand why. You know, you can understand why. Yeah. And so when we lived in Mexico, she was a seamstress. And so she would make dresses for women. And this is why she was against being an entrepreneur and working for yourself was because that's what she did in Mexico. Like in Mexico, if you don't work, you don't get paid. So mm -hmm. you have to figure out something to do if you don't have any skills. And because of her limited education, she didn't have very many skills. So she was an excellent seamstress. Mm -hmm. She used to make my TV clothes up until she couldn't. Wow. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And she would also alter all of my dresses because they always needed altering. So she's very skilled. She learned how to make dresses by, because she came from a small town, taking dresses apart, making her own patterns. And then that's how she made dresses. Amazing. Really amazing. So when she was in business for herself, she would make a dress, turn it over. They would come pick it up and they'd say, oh, I'll pay you on Friday when my husband gets paid. This is Wednesday. Friday's two days away and she doesn't have anything to eat in the house for her six children because she's out of money and she just turned over this garment expecting to get paid and didn't get paid. And now her kids are starving. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. So, so her idea of entrepreneurship is not fun. No, it's yeah. pain and it's misery and it's uncertainty and it's fear. It's all of those things. Mm. And that's what she stilled in me. Mm. Yeah. So for me to break out of that. But I want to have something of my own. I want, I want to own my own business. I want to be my own boss. I want to, you know, if I'm going to trade my time for money, I at least want it to be for my thing. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Hear you. Yes. Yeah. I think so many people can relate to that. Yeah. Like at this point, at that point in my life, I hadn't even gotten to the point where I was thinking about you know, residual income or, you know, making money off of, you know, like the idea of making your money work for you hadn't even crossed my mind because mm. I didn't even know about that. So like, how did you get there? Like, did you, did you say to yourself like, okay, I'm, you know, I am going to go get that office job. And then when you were in the office job, you were like, this ain't for me. Yes. This ain't <laughs> for me. I wanted to work in radio and I wanted to be a writer. So that was the goal when I graduated college. 
I was a religious studies major. I wasn't even a meteorologist yet. I, and I, that had never, it was a lot of math, a lot of science, just <laughs> something that didn't truly interest me. But I did go back to school and I did become a certified meteorologist. So I am bona fide and legal. Uh, <laughs> but what I did know at a very early age, at 17 and a half, I started saving money because one day I was going to open a restaurant. Nice. And I knew that no one, like, you don't, nobody gives you a loan to open a restaurant. Yeah. You get a group of investors, you get people like that are angel investors, but you can't go to a bank and say, I've got this great idea for a restaurant. Yeah. Because nine out of 10 restaurants fail in the first year. Mm. So I knew that I was going to have to have my own money. So at 17 and a half, I opened up a little bank account for my restaurant money. And then I, it, within that, I started working when I was 15 and a half, mostly because I had really crooked teeth and I needed, I knew that it was a big burden for my mom to pay for them. So I helped her pay for my braces in that as soon as I got a job, that was my priority. going to pay wow. for the braces. Mom doesn't have to do it anymore. Pay for my own prom dress, anything that I wanted extra, like I did on my own. But once I started to work more hours and make a little more money, I had my restaurant money. I had my college fund money. I had my car fund money. So I would take up my money and instead of blowing it on stuff, I mean, although don't get me wrong, I did blow it on stuff sometimes, but most of the time it was like, okay, my restaurant money's in there. My prom money's in there. My car money's in there. Wow. How much do I have left and how much can I spend? Yeah. Now, did you just, th this is so interesting, like how smart you were, you know, is, is that something that you just kind of figured out on your own or did someone like give you like, this is what you should my do? Mom. Yeah. So my mom didn't have an education, but she had a lot of common sense. Yeah. And my mom always said, there are two things that you're allowed to go into debt for. You're allowed to go into debt for a house if you wanted to buy a mortgage and if you were going to buy a car. My mom never owned a car because she could never afford one. Wow. So she would take the bus and walk everywhere and we would take the bus and walk everywhere. But she taught me early on that debt was bad. And even to this day, like I can tell you that if I'm going to buy a piece of property, my car is paid for. Like my husband and I both believe in being debt free. We pay cash for our vehicles, which means we don't buy luxury vehicles because we'd rather spend the money on something else. Yeah. So we buy practical cars that are going to have a good resale value because eventually we'll need to get a new one. And these are just very common sense things mm. that I learned from a woman with a sixth grade education. Yeah. Well, she was a smart woman, clearly. <laughs> she was you know, She was the first financial planner in your life. <laughs> in my family, anyway. So smart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no. Yeah. We didn't buy the new refrigerator until she had enough cash to pay for the refrigerator. Yeah. We would go to the laundromat if we needed, you know, to wash and dry our clothes until she had saved enough money to pay for a washer and a dryer. Yeah. And she would sometimes, you know, like we got the washer first and then we would go to the laundry and just dry the, the, the laundry. Yeah. So it was, you know, she just taught me how to be resourceful and how to figure it out. Yeah. And, and it doesn't sound, it, I mean, 
listen, your personality is amazing. It shines through. So, you know, as as hard as these things were, it, se- it seems like there was happiness there as well. So it wasn't oh. like, it was like, this is what you do. This is what we're doing. This is how you do it. And that's it. Yeah. And I think for me, it was instead of looking short term, like I had the vision. So, okay. So I started saving up for that restaurant when I was 17 years old, do you know how long it took me to finally open one? No. I, did you open it like last year? <laughs> no, but we just sold it right before the pandemic. Oh, amazing. 17 and a half. That finally happened when I was 38 because it happened oh. the year before I got married. Wow. Wow. Kept it open for five and a half years. And then I started, so then you just do the math. And here's the other thing. I think that as entrepreneurs, we fall in love with the idea so much. Mm. We just, we fall in love. And this is something that I've learned along the way with real estate. You fall in love with the idea of something that you forget to take the emotion out of it. Yes. Oh, yes. And to go into logic. Yes. For many reasons, because you love the idea of it, because you've worked so hard for it, because if you just stick it out for one more day, for one more year, mm-hmm. y- y- like you talk yourself into it. Yeah. And I think that with the restaurant, after seeing the successes and the failures and why I had had successes and failures in real estate before, by the time I got to the restaurant, thank the Lord that I learned that lesson, that I was able to step away and say, how much are my prices going up because of the increases in California in terms of minimum wage versus how fast I can raise my prices to catch up to those expenses and to those impacts. And I got to a point, we got to a point that we decided we can't. And a restaurant, so I was working a full-time job My husband, we both still do work full-time jobs. So I was going to work, I was going to work in the restaurant before I went to my full-time job. He was working his full-time job going into the restaurant. And then we were giving up almost every Saturday to be at the restaurant. And from time to time, we would have to give up a Sunday. Yeah. So after five and a half years, we said, this new thing is going to happen. What do we do? And we, Adrian again, a blessing, had the opportunity to sell the lease because they had value Mm. just before the pandemic. Oh my God. That's so good. Wow. That is a blessing. (laughs) That is such a blessing. So, So one of the things that I learned was when I first bought my two pieces of property, this is like tying it back to the restaurant that I learned. Yeah. When I bought my first two pieces of property, it was during the early 2000s when like we were going into like before the 2008 crash. Yeah. And I had the realtor that that got me into that first piece of property was knocking on my door like every month, sell your property, sell your property. Look how much equity you have in it. Look how much you can sell it for. You can look, look how much money you can make on it. You can turn this around and buy something better. You won't be in a condo, all of this stuff. And I was so emotionally attached to that piece of property that I didn't. Mm, I hung on to it. Yeah. I hung on to it when I should have sold it. Yeah. But I didn't know anything really about being an entrepreneur and being in real estate. So I hung on to it, saved up more money because I'm a good saver Mm -hmm. and bought another one. Mm. That one I did not buy 
at a great time. But in that one, I fell in love with it, not because it was my first property and I had emotional attachment to it. And I did this all by myself and I'm 29 years old and I was so proud of myself, but because I fell in love with the actual house. It was a 1938 Craftsman. It was like teeny (laughs) tiny. It sat on a little hill right in the middle of the property. It had a ton of windows. I could open up all. In fact, I never even put up curtains because I didn't need to until the summer when it got really hot. But I had, it was completely secluded. I was single. I could walk around naked and (laughs) see me. I love it. So, oh my gosh. So, Vera, this is so cool because. First of all, I was just having a conversation. I, I was actually just a guest on someone else's podcast. And she asked me for a piece of advice. And it's really funny. It's like the universe is, you know, maybe trying to communicate some message. But the, the advice that I gave her was like, kind of came out of a place that I, I recognize. And it's exactly what you're talking about. So it's like, as an entrepreneur, we can start with the the passion, like the fire of the passion, Right. But you have to very quickly move to business mode if you are going to have a successful, thriving, profitable business. And without making sweeping statements, I feel that sometimes women get way too emotionally involved in the businesses that we start and we don't make proper business decisions. I was trying to, it's so funny. I was in corporate. I was the one, right? I was the one with the stable corporate job, the two weeks vacation and the 401k. And I loved it, right? But it didn't fuel my, my fire. But I realized that the reason that I always did so well in corporate is not because I didn't love my job and that, you know, I, I wasn't good at it or, you know, that I was good at it and everything. But because I didn't have an emotional investment in my job, I wasn't in love with my company. Mm -hmm. But having my own business that I am in love with, I don't make good decisions with my business. I don't. No, sometimes we don't. Because again, you know, as women, I think we're nurturers and nurturing our business is like, you know, going almost into like mom mode. We're we're mom moding our business. Exactly. And, and, And I'm not even a mom. I don't have children. And I'm not going to have them. I'm 50 years old. There are no babies in my horizon. (laughs) But I think you like you, you you go into that mom mode of nurturing the business and like, okay, come on. I believe in you. I believe in you. We can do this. We can do this. Yeah. Like you would with your kids. I would imagine that if you had a child, like you're supportive of that child, you're nurturing and you're loving and you're kind and all of those things. And sometimes we forget to be a little hard, um, not hard, but like tough. And the one thing that I did that I think has gotten me to this point in my life, I know for a fact, is that my mom was always very tough. Like my mom felt like there's no dad. She had three girls and three boys. So my mom was both father and mother. Mm. And her father, Jean, was, I think, a lot tougher than her mom mode. Like she was tough. Mm. She was like, I said no and you're six years old, and that's what it is. And I don't have to explain anything to you because I'm your mother, and that's what I say. Yeah. And you're going to eat all of your food because we don't have a lot of money, and I'm not going to waste it. So you eat every everything on your plate. Like, she was no nonsense. Yeah. She had six kids. She didn't have the time or the patience. Like, her job was to keep everybody in school, 
make sure no one went to jail. Yep. <laughs> and make sure no one got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that they stayed it. alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was it. That yes. was it. Yeah. And so one of the things that I learned in my real estate investing, because, you know, that's, that's a pat, like I always love that because I, it was something that I could see, I could touch it. I could feel it. Yeah. When I was in college, I tried put paint, playing the penny stocks to learn how the market worked. No interest. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. It was not my thing. Yeah. But investing in something that I could touch, that I could feel, that I could see that, oh, and by the way, people are always going to need a place to live. Yeah. There's a finite amount of land. They're not making it anymore. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, those are things that I could, that my mind could grasp and then I could invest in. Mm. And so after not selling my condo when I should have sold it to make a bigger profit and da 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 and buying a second house that I emotionally fell in love with and then having to short sell it, which to me was like, oh my God, yeah. like what? Yeah. You know, all of those things taught me that the most important thing when you're buying and investing in real estate, if you're going to buy, that you have to make the profit the day that you purchase it. Yeah. Gosh, that's, you know, you know that that's what they say in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's exactly yes, that's that. what he said. Yes. That's where I learned that. Wow. Kiyosaki taught me that. Yes. Because when I realized that this is what I loved and this was something that I was going to have to start doing, I just started reading. Mm. And then once I started reading, then I realized that there were these real estate networking groups. Mm. And then I started to join them and get more practical information and actual experiential information. Mm. So the two things that I would say with regard and well, a couple of things, if you want to be a real estate investor, yeah. um, A, always look at the market that you're going to be buying in. So when I buy in a market, I'm in California and I don't want to invest in California for multiple reasons, high prices, you know, rent control, evictions, like the law always favors the tenant and not the the landowner or the or the property owner. So there are multiple reasons. So I try to do most of my investing out of state. So when I look for a market, there are indicators that I look for. Are people moving into the state? What jobs are there? What growth is there? Where what industries are there? Is it all one industry? So, you know, when you're talking Detroit, it was all car. When the car industry went out what what was left nothing yeah so now you're looking for not just a city or a community that has growth but somewhere where businesses are moving to that are going to draw people that have skills that are going to be in different industries so mm. one of the places that i invest in is in pittsburgh and the reason why i invest there is because there's a big college Yes. Boom there. There's a lot of biomedical. There's a lot of corporate 500. And they also have some transportation segment and sports. Uh, sports. sports. Yep. Yeah. So there are multiple industries that will sustain an economy if one goes out. Mm, 
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, even even just the fact that you even like name dropped Pittsburgh, a very specific name. I'm I, a lot of people don't do this, right? They try to protect the information that they have and not share it. And so I just really appreciate you and and just being so transparent about that. And that is what we need to do as women. We need to share the information with one another so that we can build this wealth in in our community. And and the thing about that too, when you talk about that, is that let's let's face it, there is more than enough to go around. But as sometimes as women, we're told that there's not enough, yeah. And so we kind of hoard it, but but that's not true. No, there's there's more than enough to go around. And so, for example, so when interest rates started to go up, so the price the of homes has started to stable off, but they're still not where they should be. So when interest rates are low, home prices are really expensive. So there's always this teeter totter going back and forth. So when I thought, because remember you make your profit when you buy the property and I thought, okay, this isn't working. This model isn't working for me right now. So buying property isn't what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to pivot Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see and look at what other avenues of investing in real estate I want to venture into or explore while I can't physically buy homes. Yeah. So one of the other things that I started to do was look at real estate investment trusts. Yes. And so now I have some of that. And those are not like, so because I already owned homes, I wanted to get into something that was different to diversify my portfolio. So I invested in a real estate trust that instead of being residential was commercial. Hmm. Interesting. And so the commercial aspect, I found a company that leases space to research facilities, to medical facilities, to places where you actually have to physically go to. Like you still have to, you can do a tele a telehealth conference, but eventually you still have to go in to get the MRI. Yes. <laughs> you still have to go to get the pap smear. Yes. You know what I mean? There are still things that need to be done. So I found that. And so I thought, okay, put a little money there. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, what else can I do? And so forever I've said, if I could just be the bank, it would yeah. be great. Now? <laughs> yes. And so so about three years ago, I started exploring lending. Wow. And so now, while, you know, the market is still not great, some home prices are still high, interest rates are going up. And remember, I'm a person that likes to buy cash. Mm-hmm. And so... It's too much. It's not worth it. I'd rather take the cash and spend it on something else. I have found people that do real estate and investing on a full time basis and have more time to really look at the properties that are under default to buy, you know, houses at auction that are getting really good deals. And so they have time to do all of that. And I don't because. I want a life. I have a full-time job that I love. I love doing my volunteer and philanthropy work. So I let them find the deals and then I either partner with them or what I like to do even more is lend them. 
Yeah. Lend them the money. Wow. Here's the money that you need. I'll give it to you for six months to a year to two years. These are short-term loans. We agree on an interest rate. You know, the title company does the paperwork. So there's no funny thing going on. It's all on the up and up. And then like, I just collect. And then at the end of the term, I get the money back and I get to do it all over again. You're you're amazing. You are amazing. I I love how you're explaining it too. Like it's, hey, it's no big deal. And you know what? I love that attitude too, because it's not as complicated, hard as maybe some would like us to think it is to keep us out. Yes. And, And you know, and I learned this from another woman real estate investor and she's phenomenal. And I did a course with her. She's still a friend of mine. We still do business together. And one of the things that I, I, that I asked her when I was starting my journey is I said, Athena, how do you do it? And she, and I don't know how it came up, but she said, remember that money is energy and mm-hmm. money is always going to flow in and money is always going to flow out. Mm-hmm. And if you treat it as energy and you look at it as such, you are just going to understand that there are going to be periods, seasons of your life where money goes out and there are going to be seasons of your life when money comes back in. And so Mm. now that I think about it that way, the idea of money doesn't scare me that much. Mm. And that has that simple thought and understanding has really helped me, not just in my entrepreneurial journey, but also in my philanthropic journey Mm. that I am no longer afraid to make a donation because I believe in like, for me, it's really important to donate treasure and time to charities and to causes that I believe in. For me, it's not just one or the other. It's a combination because then I know I'm really invested. Yeah. I am in the weeds with them and I'm in the ground with them and I am seeing what's going on so that I say, you know what? I know where that money's going and I know that it's well spent. Yeah. I love this. That is you. I am so inspired by you right now. You have no idea that I need, I needed this today. I'm so happy that this, that our conversation happened. And I I just think that there's also so many other women that are going to be so inspired by this. Now, do you also kind of like coach people? I mean, how, how can people just get in touch with you and be motivated by you and all of it? I'm on social media, um, Vera Jimenez TV. It's, you know, I, I love doing what I do. I, I always say I'm actionable, happy news. You know, <laughs> I'm news you can, you know, news, really news. <laughs> yes. Like this is actionable news and it's happy news because, you know, in California, yes, you know, we do have droughts, we have fires, we have all of those things. And so the news isn't always great. But what I always remind people is, yes, while these are tragic stories and people do lose everything sometimes, the people that are living in those zones know what they're in for. Mm -hmm. They know. They know that that we have drought and that we have fires and that then the rainy season comes and we have mudslides. So they're properly insured. And not that I, that I don't feel bad for them, but what I want to remind people always is that people buy there because they want to feel that connection with nature. Mm. And that's why they're moving there. Yeah. And so for them, the risk reward is valid. Otherwise, they wouldn't have moved there. Yeah. 
And that is nature. That is nature. The fires and the floods and that is nature. And that is part of the let's not sugarcoat it. Let's be real. Let's tell the truth. Mm. And if you're moving to those regions, you know what you're in for. Yeah. Yeah. So prepare for that. Just like I know I'm in California where we have earthquakes. I know to make sure that my house is California earthquake retrofitted. And I know that I have to have earthquake insurance. Yeah. That's just the cost of living in California. Yeah. Because that's where I want to live. Yeah. And you get the sunshine all the time. <laughs> you know, I always say we pay the taxes in California because we love the sunshine. We love the weather. <laughs> yes. It's so true. Yeah. Listen, I, I feel like we could talk forever. And I, I do. I want to invite you back because I want to dive into so much more with you because, you know, the, the real estate investing, the mindset, everything that you're doing with predicting the weather uh, and using all those incredible models and, and, everything else that you're doing. I just, I want to hear more and I want to hear, I want to follow your journey. And I'm sure that so many of the women that are listening into Sugarcoated want to hear that too. So let's make sure that we do a follow-up. And I just thank you so much for spending your time and your energy with me here and with all of the Sugarcoated audience today. I just really appreciate this conversation. You have lifted me up. And and for that, I am so grateful. Well, thank you for having me. And yes, I'm I would love to come back and chat some more and get to know you more. I've been listening to the podcast and I just, you know, it's been great to get to know the women in your sphere. And I look forward to connecting to many of them. I've already connected to Alicia Holmes, for example. Amazing. Um, She's yes. incredible. Awesome. Incredible, amazing. And it was so many things, so many of the things that she was talking about, like I talked to about to the young girls that are in high school, like, you know, know the difference between being rich and wealthy, yeah. you know, know the difference between buying a trinket and buying a treasure. Mm. You know, like those are the things that I am talking to girls in high school about so that someone is planting the seed in them, you know, so that they know that there's a different way of seeing the world. I love it so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And I will talk to you very soon. Thank you. This is the She Leads Podcast Network.